As the world marks two years since Russia's invasion into Ukraine, Ukrainian officials say they have new reassurances of aid from European leaders. The EU has fallen short on previous commitments to boosting ammunition production and recently agreed to a funding deal worth more than $50 billion. The deal comes as President Volodymyr Zelensky spoke to Ukrainians today, insisting their defiant nation will succeed. CNN chief international security correspondent Nick Peyton Walsh is in Ukraine joining us now. You spoke with a Ukrainian fighter who has a remarkable story. Yeah, look, it's important to remember on a day when many Ukrainians are actually able to conjure up two years ago when they didn't have a life entirely punctuated and swamped in this conflict, exactly what this war has done to ordinary families here. Torn them apart, caused many women and children to flee as refugees to Europe and dominating daily life, sirens, explosions in a large city like this, something that haunts people that two years ago was just unimaginable. We spoke to one uh, Ukrainian Marine who uh, seems through his extraordinary last two years to have been around at some of the key events of this war, some of the key turning points. Here is his remarkable story. If one man's story spanned all two years of Ukraine's war, you might expect it had ended abruptly by now. But Alexander is alive. A glass eye from the siege of Azovstal. Gratitude from surviving Russian prisons. Courage from battling in the summer counter-offensive. And now exhaustion from fighting in Kherson in a daring advance across the river that Russia claimed it ended this week. Two years ago, he remembers shock at Russia's brutal attack, but also Ukraine's bold defense. Serving already four years around Mariupol, he had a friend move his family to Denmark and slowly his unit fell back to the Azovstal plant, unaware of the iconic battle it would become. What was the worst part of Azovstal? Is there a flashback that is most vivid to you? Four hundred colleagues died, forty-five taken prisoner, he said. Surrender, the worst feeling. Six months in prison, the Russian anthem daily, porridge, boiled cabbage, friends dying and threats of being hung or shot. They ended abruptly. Вот. 
He rested and returned to fight in the bitter and bloody southern counter-offensive near Urujaini. He says he was grateful to feel fear again. Have your experiences left you feeling more courageous or more fearful on the front line now? We talk in Kherson in his break from assaulting Russian positions across the river, a risky advance Ukraine hoped would edge towards occupied Crimea. It hasn't. Many lives have been lost, and the city of Kherson liberated now for 15 months, is also an exhausted ghost. And while Western support has slowed, Russia has not. No end is in sight. He says he does, of course, not want his son to fight in this war. He is seven. Now, it's a difficult few months ahead for Ukraine. The Western aid, the $60 billion of US financing, urgent really in terms of what it does for munitions for the front line here. That is not arriving and it's even more in doubt. Still 10 days more until Congress even comes back to debate it and multiple points along the Ukrainian front line in peril. Possibly, it seems, uh, advances near Avdivka again by Russian forces today and a sense, I think, that Putin has found his footing again, has corrected some of the financing supply issues they had, and we may be looking at more successes for Russia in the months ahead and Ukraine trying to hold on. Frederica? Mm, still hard to believe, entering year three. All right, Nick Payton Walsh in Ukraine, thank you. For more on this war, let's turn now to CNN military analyst and retired U.S. Air Force Colonel Cedric Layton. Colonel, uh, good to see you. I mean, that is that is just astounding, isn't it? I mean, you just saw their, the resolve shown by so many Ukrainian soldiers, but realistically, you know, how long can Ukraine, you know, spurn Russia's advance? I mean, given this shrinking supply of artillery, ammunition, even though Europeans are now committing more. Yeah, Frederica, it really depends on how quickly the European aid can materialize in Ukraine and how quickly the U.S. can resume aid, uh, because we're going to have to do that. Uh, you know, the European aid by itself is not going to be sufficient. And that's, I, I think, the whole tragedy of this situation, not that uh, aid from the U.S. or from the West could have stopped what happened to Alexander, the soldier in Nick Payton Walsh's piece uh, in Mariupol, for example, but what it could do is it could prevent other troops in Ukraine from being captured or being killed or being wounded. And that's the key thing here. Uh, Ukraine has basically become the buffer state uh, between uh, NATO Europe and uh, Russia, and it is also protecting us uh, here in the United States. And that, of course, makes a big, big difference. And the sooner that's recognized and the sooner that's dealt with, uh, the better off we'll all be. Mm. And Colonel, today, Russian forces claim that they captured some 200 Ukrainian troops from Avdivka. I mean, that's both heartbreaking and demoralizing, right? So how does the loss of Avdivka 
reshape Ukraine's battle plans at all? Yeah, well, Avdivka is kind of at that junction between the southern and eastern fronts. And as we see on this map here, there is really that key element where it's kind of a pivot point between those two areas. It is, of course, also fairly close uh, to that land bridge uh, that uh, runs from Donetsk uh, down toward Crimea. And that is uh, really the critical thing, because what the Ukrainians wanted to do was to cut that land bridge. That's going to be a really hard thing to do right now. And they're going to have to rethink how they're going to do something like this, or even if they're going to do something like that in the near term. So the goal of cutting the land bridge to kind of cut off Crimea from the rest of Russia or Russian-occupied territory, that's going to be something that they're going to probably have to put into uh, a basket of future events. Uh, so that will mean that there's a more defensive posture for the Ukrainian forces, mm -hmm. at least over the short to medium term. And that, of course, means a different kind of warfare. And that could mean a lot more attrition. And uh, if they're not careful, a lot more troops that are captured by the Russians, like those 200 in Avdivka. Oh, boy. All right. And today, uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky said his country is preparing for a new counteroffensive. How successful, you know, can the Ukrainian offensive be at this stage in the war? And given what we just said, a lack of resources or dwindling resources. Yeah, that's going to be really, really tough to realize, unless it's something that is completely asymmetrical, such as the attacks that the Ukrainians have very successfully mounted against uh, the Russian Black Sea Fleet. Uh, those have been spots of major success uh, in the Ukrainian war effort, and that is something that uh, could potentially be part of the battle plan that uh, President Zelensky is, is outlining here. Of course, he normally would say these things in relation to a land war and to the, or to the land portion of this war. And that's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, I think can only be successful once the Ukrainians get combat aircraft like the F-16 uh, and also longer range artillery pieces like the ATACM system. So those are the kinds of things that are going to be, uh, need to be part of the Ukrainian battle effort in order for there to be any kind of success of that type. And it's going to be, I think, a long time coming before we see that kind of success. Wow. All right. Uh, Colonel Cedric Layton, uh, thank you so much. You bet, Frederica.